Thank you for downloading the Engineering Commons podcast. In this episode, we talk about the things engineers like to do when they've got a few days to escape from work. Included in our lengthy list are poolside liqueurs, visiting brewers, and plant tours. The Engineering Commons explores challenges encountered by engineers, regardless of field or industry. Join Adam, Brian, Carmen, and Jeff as they discuss issues of interest to today's engineering professional. This is episode 110, Engineering Vacation, June 9th, 2016. So, Brian, what does your dream vacation look like? Uh, my dream vacation is a tropical, tropical location, uh, swim-up bar, and a really good book. Sounds pretty good, but aren't you worried that the uh, water is going to ruin the book pages if you're swimming up to the bar? Uh, no, I'd generally keep it above water. Fair enough, fair enough. Plus, it's a dream vacation, so it could be like a waterproof book, too. I've had a couple of these. They're pretty nice. <laughs> waterproof books or dream vacations? Uh, I read the big short while, you know, at a swim up bar and I plowed through that in like a day or two. And it was, that's, that's kind of my ideal location. My ideal, if I could retire that way, unfortunately, I, I don't think good books are in that great of a supply. Nah, but you got all the classics you can go fall back on too. Yeah, that's true. I don't, I don't know how good Tolstoy is with a martini. <laughs> well, no, you need <laughs> vodka for that. Come on. Yeah, very good. Very true. So are you always, you know, just kicking back and uh, not doing much? Or do you ever look out and uh, try to do anything nerdy and techy? Not on my vacations. And uh, especially since being married, I don't think that I get a lot of opportunities to do very geek-like vac- vacations. Mm-hmm. Just unplug and take it all in? Exactly. Fair enough. But uh, how about you? Yeah, it's a good mix. Um, you know, I've had equal amounts of just sitting on a beach or, uh, you know, by a resort pool and drinking a lot of mudslides. But, you know, I also like to go out and see museums and take brewery tours and do all that good stuff. And mm-hmm. every now and then I can talk the wife into going to something geeky and she, she has a better time than she lets on, but she's not going to cosplay with me anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do, are you going to convince her to do Comic-Con someday? <laughs> I would love to go. But I don't know if I have the stamina to wait in all those lines. That's like hell to me. Yeah, it does. Uh, that sounds pretty rough. But if anyone wants to invite me to an after party, I'll totally do that. <laughs> <laughs> so tell your friends. And I will come co- cosplay as a co- podcaster. Uh, <laughs> so are we already in vacation season? Pretty much, yeah. I was on a cruise last month. And then I had a wedding, so I had a long weekend for that, too. It was, it was pretty good. Wonderful. Yeah. So our, our theme for the show today is, uh, you know, vacation as we approach summer here in the Northern Hemisphere. So we're going to talk about some techie or engineering orientated vacation spots you could go see. Apologies to our European and international listeners, but uh, apparently clickbait listicles on where to go as an engineer outside the U.S. are pretty hard to come by. You guys with your journalistic standards or something. I don't know. <laughs> but... If we, uh, you know, skip out on something in your country or, you know, you know of a cool place, feel free to send it to us and we can throw it in the show notes of our next episode. It'd be good to know if a lot of the, um, 
It was just a nice photo set on, uh, I think it was the Air and Space Museum. And I was just thinking, man, there's there's probably a lot of good Arrow and, you know, uh, like his Bletchley Park mm-hmm. um, open for tours, that kind of stuff where they were doing, where they were building the first computers and uh, doing the code breaking. I don't know if that's a museum. Yeah. How about you guys, Jeff and Adam? Do you guys take uh, nerdy vacations? You know, reality, most of my vacations end up being uh, working on on uh, projects like landscaping or remodeling a kitchen or something like that, um, which is, I don't know, that's what I find fun. Yeah, chance to get away from looking at the computer monitors and squinting. Yeah, you don't have to think so much. Working with your hands for a change. <laughs> it's just your house, so who cares if it looks goofy? It always does. Yeah, we go on a, the occasional vacation, but uh, I can't say that that I've done a lot uh, that that I call nerdy. Uh, you know, you go to the museum and, and tour through that, but that's pretty much set up usually for the general public, and, and usually I'm not going to, uh, you know, computer museums. We're going to an art museum or a historical museum, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, I mean, I've done the, the Air and Space Museum and all that good stuff in D.C., and that's pretty sweet. I have to check mm-hmm. out the... International Spy Museum. I just found out about that one not too long ago, and that looks pretty damn cool. Wow, Where, where's that located? It's a great question. Somewhere I think in, it's DC. in DC. Yeah. And okay. If I go through on their websites. Yeah, eight hundred F Street, Northwest Washington, DC. Hmm. Well, I guess you get you could get both the sort of the history and the and the historical perspective on that, but. Uh, I guess for us, the, the neat thing would be all the, uh, the technology. And miniaturized and, gadgets. and Exactly. Yeah. The Q division. Exactly. That's what I was just going to say. <laughs> Took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah. So I was saying recently, you know, I went to a wedding and everything. One of the places I found interesting from an engineering perspective was um, the Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. And they opened up a new place two, three years ago, something like that, outside of Asheville, North Carolina. And that was awesome. Just watching the volume of production and how automated it was and all the little, you know, industrial robots, all the stuff I don't really get to see normally in my day-to-day working in the electronics industry. Um, Mm -hmm. It was just really cool watching how it all flowed as a process. And, you know, they're doing a couple hundred thousand cans a day or bottles a day. Mm Mm-hmm. Although I'm not in process, but uh, I think if I remember right, they had three rejects per 100 bottles, and that that seems or three rejects per a thousand bottles. Sorry, that seems that seems rather high. I, I guess it depends on the rate that they're going. You know, if you're going slowly and you have that higher reject rate, that'd be a problem. But if you're producing at a high enough rate, then that might be the uh, the optimal condition. Sure, it just seems you know. If, if you do three hundred thousand, that's that's three thousand that you're rejecting right there. Is that is that math right or is that three hundred? Am I off by a factor of ten? Which is why they never say do math on air. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're getting three per thousand, and uh, then how many did they do a day? Three hundred thousand in a day. So that's three hundred times three. That'd be nine hundred rejects. Nine hundred rejects. It still seems a little high, but maybe that's better than I thought. Maybe I was off by a factor of 10 on my mental math. Now, what happens to the rejects? Do those go to the people who are determining them to be rejects? Uh, depending on where it got rejected, you know, it was kicked off in, uh, you know, I'll just go with the bottle fill, I guess. Yeah, if there's a 
defect in the glass or, you know, something didn't get filled to the right quantity. They kicked that bottle aside. Um, that does get looked at and inspected to see what was going on. And then, if I remember right, I think, you know, it just has to get drank by somebody. <laughs> by somebody. Office party, yeah, every Friday. Yeah, I think that's what Adam was getting to, whether there was some perverse incentive for people to push the reject button as things went by. Oh, oh no, it's all, it's all totally automated. It's happening pretty darn quickly. And it was really <laughs> cool just to look down the assembly line. My wife and I took the, the four-hour Beer Geek tour, so you got to get down on the the floor and just see it all and it is just walls of parallels what they were doing that day just you know, as far as the eye could see on all these big conveyor belts <laughs> hmm. and they're talking you know there's this big bend in the thing and they're like oh and it's first in uh you know f- first in last out or whatever and i was trying to track one with my eyes and you could really see a bottle actually go up and back down and it wasn't just shooting around the corner real fast it actually seemed to follow what they said Mm-hmm. So I could have just had a tour that explained on how that, all that shit worked, and I would have been happy. <laughs> but I guess I'll go play with hops and drink some beer and, you know, sample stuff like that. So that was really cool. And, I mean, brewery tours are great in general, but just just seeing that level of automation was pretty neat. It wasn't just a bunch yeah. of guys doing a glorified cooking class. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. Well, I've been through uh, a couple of plants that made – the plastic bottle caps mm-hmm. uh, that go on on plastic bottles, and again, they're making that at high high rate. And to uh, see these machines, basically, you know, melt the plastic, cut the plastic, uh, jam it into a mold, form the mold, form you know, you form the external uh, shape, but then form the internal threads, and you have to, so you know, you, when you form the threads, you can't just pull the mold back, straight back out. You have to you know run it in reverse to unthread it. Uh, and then and then get the thing oriented so it can go on a bottle and run it down onto the bottle and uh, there's a there's some uh, pretty heavy duty mechanical analysis in there to get all that to happen uh, at the the kind of production rates you're talking about. Yeah, and I mean maybe bottle caps because they're everywhere that you're talking about, but so that's a lot of custom work, isn't it, for each plant or other standard bottle cap forming machines? Well, I'm not enough of an expert, but I do know that that. Uh, you know, there are different thread patterns, and so you have to make sure that you get the right bottle cap to That's go true. with true. You don't want to put a Coke one on your Pepsi. <laughs> I think I think a lot of that's pretty standard. Yeah, there, there are commercial bottle lines that breweries can buy, although somebody like Sierra Nevada may get a custom one built because they are huge. Yeah. Yeah, they did do – it seemed – I mean, I'm sure there's probably some commercial bottle fillers or whatever they had, but I know they did have a couple big 1,600 barrel, and a barrel is 31 gallons, 1,600 mm-hmm. barrel fermenters, which was pretty cool to see. Those were those were absolutely gigantic. Jeez. <laughs> I wanted to – you know, there's no practical way to show a tour, even, even one of Beer Geeks, how you clean one of those out, but I wanted to see that. Uh, you push a button? <laughs> Well, yeah, but I mean, I want to see all the gizmos going on inside. I want to say, I want to really, when I say everything, I want like an acid bath <laughs> as I stand inside the big fermenter and watch it all happen. I'll sign a waiver. I don't care. Watching fermentation is a little less exciting than watching bottling, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. the bottling was cool. No, I just wanted to actually just see what happens when they push the button and say, clean this out. Okay. You know, a lot of that caught my eye. It's hard to get to, you know, there's a lot of neat things in manufacturing plants, but it's hard to get inside them. You know, everybody's worried about uh, somebody stealing their manufacturing secrets. Yeah, that and safety and 
you know. Right. No one wants to look and see something at a distance of 100 yards. That's no good. Don't you have to buy a Tesla in order to get a, a factory tour these days? That sounds right, but I don't know. I don't have a Tesla, so I can't confirm. I think we may need to expense a Tesla to the uh, <laughs> podcast in order to find out. This requires research. <laughs> yes. So how many people do you get to take on your tour? So do we need two, really? We may need two other Teslas. Probably right? just expense four with all this advertising money we have. Got just it. to play it Got safe. It. Just in yeah. case. <laughs> just in case it's one per ticket. One per car. <laughs> Yeah, I remember going through uh, through a manufacturing plant that was here in the state, and and uh, they were making television tubes. So this dates back a few years, but uh, that was fascinating too. You know, this this giant plant where things moved. You know, you started with the raw glass, and they would melt it, and they would form it, and then they would, you know, where the the back of the CRT tube would match to the front of the CR tube. They'd have to polish that up. You know, the the mate, mating edge, and then they'd, they'd mount the, the the front of the tube, the CRT, onto the back. And then they had other stuff to, uh, you need the, the electron beam gun, you know, go in the back of the tube and to align that. Uh, and so everywhere you went, you know, there were these tubes moving around and there were all these, uh, look like very, very sophisticated Bunsen burners, you know, that there'd be places where the, the flame would rotate, you know, that you'd have the, the CRT screen up horizontally and they'd bring in a set of four or six flames pointing from various directions and that these flames would be rotating in order to keep even heat on this thing and, and uh, the molten glass, they'd shove it in to, to merge the two pieces together, and then they'd pull it back just a little bit to straighten everything out. And you just, you know, this huge plant, you know, where, where as the finished tubes would be, would be uh, transported through the plant from one place to another, you'd see it moving overhead on these big cranes. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of manufacturing plants like that. Uh, you just can't very often get in to see them. Well, and often they're in locations that aren't very accessible. For a good reason, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it, it's it's not like uh, you go next to Disney World and find a whole bunch of really interesting manufacturing facilities. Yeah, or even something like Disney. You know, it'd be neat to see all the behind the scenes stuff, but it isn't, it isn't very often that you get get in to see that either. No, that's very true. If you got enough money, you can get anywhere. Well, that's- I did luck out uh, when I was back in school. We did took uh, two engineering trips with the honors class, and we took one to Seattle, and we got the tour um, Boeing and go on the Everett facility tour, which was awesome, and see how the planes were all you know assembled. Mm-hmm. They were doing. We saw the seven seven triple seven line, and those are built on like an, a moving assembly line, a very slowly moving one, but it's pretty awesome. It's just it's just a massive, massive facility. Which Isn't is really cool. Still the largest building in the world. Uh, by volume, maybe. I think it may be. <laughs> I don't know. But, have to- so so uh, it, it, it's a yard uh, square and goes up several miles. Is <laughs> <laughs> no, I, by volume, it's like you know some. It's just, it's ridiculously mind-bogglingly big. You know, there were bicycles you would rent or, I guess, have assigned to your station so you could get around if you were, you know, somebody to check on multiple things. Right. Um, but I guess I guess what you're implying is it had to be a fairly tall building. Otherwise, the volume was not an issue. I feel like you're making a joke I'm just missing here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, yeah, no, it was like, you know, say three-quarters of a mile long by, like, a half a mile wide or something ridiculous like that. Yeah. And then tall enough to fit 
two levels at least. Yes, um, the uh, Boeing Everett factory is still the largest usable space building in the world. Wow. Both floor area and volume. Yeah, it was massive. And I think they do public tours um, if you get a chance to travel to Seattle. But that was pretty sweet, so we got to do that. And then I also got to see um, their, their Skunk Works division, too, up the road. And we got to see F-22s being built. That was really cool. Mm-hmm. I can't talk about that or I have to kill you. <laughs> but that was really neat. Um, so we, did, we saw big manufacturing like that. And then we also went um, – I can't remember where exactly it was. I know we took a ferry across the Sound. And we went to um, this little – fishing rod and reel company and it was all you know you went from a giant Boeing facility where everything's high tech and wizardry and then you go to this small hand manufacturer doing like high end fishing rods and reels it was pretty cool Mm -hmm. so you got a flavor for it all and then our other trip we went to the Czech Republic and um, did a couple medical facilities and another defense contractor that was building some sort of fighter jet I can't remember which one off the top of my head and yeah it was pretty neat you had to see some of those tours that maybe other people couldn't because our university used their connections. Right. And and so why the Czech Republic? That's a great question. I was not on the planning committee. I was just told you get, a, <laughs> you get to go with the honors program to the Czech Republic. And I said, deal. <laughs> okay. Cool. So I don't ask questions. I hear Prague has wonderful beer. It was delicious. And it's very cheap, too. <laughs> Right. So you had mentioned earlier, Brian, that, that uh, you normally don't do nerdy stuff on your vacations. Does that mean that if you had your druthers, you just wouldn't? Or is there something that, you know, maybe completely unrelated that, that if you went on a vacation and somebody taught you how to, you know, uh, pour aluminum or run a CNC machine or, or, you know, run a chemical plant that you'd be willing to do that with your free time? Uh, I don't know how much I would. Um, trying to think uh, you know the I, and I was talking to somebody recently that I know who lives down in Florida I think one of the things I would like to do would be to see a large space launch vehicle take off mm-hmm. um, you know space shuttle is obviously not going to happen ever again but uh, maybe when the Falcon 9 heavy or the Delta heavy uh, takes off that could be pretty cool to go see but you know i have sadly found myself in a lot of cities with great museums and haven't checked them out haven't had time right well but that's a different issue right you're finding free time is a different issue than than what you do if you could yeah i'm currently in the wave of everybody i know is getting married so when i travel somewhere (laughs) it's (laughs) usually have a bunch of time spoken for there's very little time and we're usually running to a brewery or something Yeah. yeah that's that's true but uh, um, I would also say a lot of the factories I'd be interested in seeing are either going to be off limits or just in locations that I'm not going to go to when I'm on a vacation. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it would be nice to see the uh, Smithsonian sometime. Yeah. Well, I, I know you're very interested in aviation, and there is there is an annual gathering that's not too far from you. And I've been, I've been to it several times. It's it's, it's not uh, it's not space flight, but it's it's about as close as you can come. Otherwise, I will also say that I'm increasingly growing to dislike large crowds. Oh well, then maybe Oshkosh is not the place for you because <laughs> it is it is a lot of people there, but it is one whale of a fun uh, 
party if you're uh, if you're technically oriented. Oh yes, I've and I've been there. I actually, no, I, I haven't worked there, but I've I've been there when I worked for a company that was representing there, and it was it was um, it was quite a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, also, the museum that's attached to there is very unique. What what is this festival you guys are talking about? Uh, the Oshka Oshkosh Fly-In is okay. uh, usually the last week in July, first week in August, or the first week in August. I think it's usually the last week in July. Yeah, right there, uh, last week of July. It's put on the by the EAA, the Experimental Aircraft Association. Okay. And, and so experimental means not like you're you're taking your life in your hands as much as uh, smaller volume kits or small things that are built. They're not a set. They're not quite a Cessna, but uh, you're building aircrafts oftentimes that have been designed by professionals and, and uh, have many, many people who have built it. But this is, I just can't tell you how many aircraft are there. And you, you have everything from people in little gliders and little, uh, you know, basically propeller flown uh, uh, backpacks almost up through uh, uh, small, small general aviation planes, jet fighters, military fighters, uh, old World War II planes, uh, the Warbirds. Just an incredible number of aircraft, row after row after row of aircraft. Uh, it goes. This thing goes on for two weeks, I think. I think it's just a week. Is it? Is it? Well, it's at least the weekend. The weekend in front of the week and a weekend, so it's like ten days at least. Then, yes. And and there there are seminars all day. So if you want to go, you want to go learn how to to uh, spin aluminum. You can do that. You want to go uh, listen to the latest in in uh, avionics uh, research. You can do, go do that. You want to. Uh, go listen to people talk about learning to fly. You can do that. Yeah, there's just something for, for everybody. If you've got any interest whatsoever in aircraft, it is just a neat place to visit. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I was able to uh, – one time I went there with my wife and we made like a wing spar – or not a spar, but uh, a structural uh, member of a wing. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, I have done MIG and TIG welding there. Uh, sat through a composites expo, uh, learned generally how composites were made and how they shouldn't be made, et cetera. It was, mm-hmm. it was a lot of fun. Um, and you know, the experimental aspect of it is, is kind of hard to describe. Um, in this country, I think as a result of lawsuits in the sixties and seventies, it became very expensive to buy general aviation aircraft. Or at least this is what has been explained to me. Um, the litigation against companies like Cessna and you know, um, you know Piper, I think ultimately forced those planes to be treated just like commercial aviation. Mm-hmm. And uh, so a, a way around um, doing that, or against buying a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand dollar aircraft, is to sell a kit. And so people make sub-assemblies of aircraft that are then shipped to your garage and you can assemble it and, you know. There you go. That's Adam's vacation right there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, over, <laughs> this over, trip and then get a kit shipped to his house. Burn the rest of that vacation time. A lot of people are selling kits. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a big thing at this particular fly-in. But so people fly in all of their kit aircraft. And you, know, you just can't imagine how many there are. And there's contests. And- yeah. Yeah. To give you an idea how popular this is, the, the, uh, 
during the period that this is going on, Oshkosh, which is a small, in a small city in Wisconsin, their airport, I believe, is the busiest airport in the world during this period. And as you're watching the flights, as you're watching the planes fly in, right, because all these planes have to fly in and then all these planes have to fly out. So they have the planes uh, down the main runway and they'll have like a, a, and these, most of these planes don't require the entire runway. So they have like up, up front, I don't know the exact order, but they have like a square and a triangle and a circle on this runway. And they will tell people come, you know, land on the square, land on the triangle, land on the circle. And they're, they're bringing these planes in so quickly one after another that they ask the planes not to respond to the, to the tower. So they say, you know, uh, you know, Cessna three, four, three, you know, rock your wings, you know? So it, the, the response of the pilot is rock their wings that they understand where they're supposed to land. And these, these planes are just coming in, boom, 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 one after another, uh, flying them in. And then uh, when they take off, it's the same sort of thing. You know, it, it's a little more scattered on the takeoff, uh, leaving the, the, uh, the event, but uh, I've got some, some friends who are, are just real fans of this and they show up early uh, for no other reason than to watch all the planes fly in, because for for hours uh, on those couple of days at the beginning of the uh, the event, that's all you're doing for a couple of hours, just watching these planes come in one after another, and and the the aircraft, uh, uh, what do you call the person in the tower? The uh, ATC or, or controller? Yeah, the, the controller, right? They volunteer. This is all volunteers because it's such a you know such a neat event that they volunteer to uh, uh, to take turns. Uh, bringing in the planes. That's cool. And uh, the museum that's there has uh, all of these vintage World War II aircraft, and they're all generally in flying condition. Mm -hmm. So you'll be walking around and see like a de Havilland Mosquito, mm -hmm. and it's got an oil pan underneath it because there's oil leaking out of it. You know, it <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. So, so if uh, if one of our listeners uh, decides, or not just one, maybe many of our listeners decide at some point they want to go, this this is kind of a thing that that if you have the opportunity, you have any any interest, it's a neat thing to go to, uh, because Oshkosh is a small town. There there are not a lot of hotel rooms, uh, and so those sell out at least a year in advance. So we're coming up to the end of July, twenty sixteen. At this point, you would not get a hotel room without unless you know you paid a, a great deal of money. So. You plan be, on camping. Yeah, plan, they do have camping. They have rooms at local colleges. So you go out about 30 or 45 minutes from the, the airport. Uh, they have some colleges. Not all of them are air conditioned. I've been there with, I, I've done the camping on the campgrounds. Uh, I've done the, you know, living in the, in the college dorms, which are not air conditioned. So you bring your own fan to try to keep cool at night because it gets hot uh, in July. Yeah, uh, I remember. I remember college life. <laughs> but, uh, but if you want to go, you know, plan on, on booking a room a year in advance, you know, because they, they really do fill up pretty quick. Now I want to go. <laughs> Camp at Jeff's house. It's pretty fun. Yep. Yeah. So as we were putting together the show notes for this episode, you know, I found a few little little slideshows. And one of the ones that I kind of liked was from uh, Popular Science. They had a list of 25 nerdy road trips you could go to. And, you know, it was U.S.-centric, but uh, had some, some pretty neat spots. There was uh, the Chili Pepper Institute Garden in New Mexico, where they do all sorts of researches on, you know, rare peppers and, you know, various pepper tests. I have no idea what you would want to look at. But they also host the uh, the hottest pepper to date at 2 million Scoville units. 
which is a little <laughs> well, ridiculous. And do you have any idea how they test that? I, I'm assuming that uh, they don't. I am, like, hope it's not a calibrated taster because that poor man's taste buds. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say they fried after the uh, the first two or three tests. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't follow the link down the, the rabbit hole to learn that much about the, the Institute, but maybe afterwards right. I was just clicking through on my slideshow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's, you know, the, the National Radio Quiet Zone in West Virginia slash Virginia. It's kind of on the border between the two. And um, it was, it still is a National Radio Quiet Zone. There are no radio signals, no cell towers, no Wi-Fi allowed. Um, and they built a National Radio uh, Astronomy Observatory back in 1958. And... You know, they needed a very sensitive, noise-free area to pick up these deep space signals. And I think, I don't know if it's still operational today or if they're shutting it down for bigger telescopes. Um, but from what I understand, like, they would actually have people with spectrum analyzers looking for spurious broadcasts, and they would they would track you down. Where is this again? Uh, it's on the border of West Virginia slash Virginia, mostly oh, West Virginia. Oh, this is the Green Bank Observatory. The what observatory? Oh yeah, yeah, Green Bank. You're right. Yep. Yeah. So, so this area is like uh, 110 miles by 120 miles. Yeah, it's a it's a big chunk of land. Huh. And so, uh, I obviously no cell phones in that area. Uh, yeah. But 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 from the uh, from the geeky standpoint, you're standing in the quiet area. There's nothing going on. Is it just to enjoy the na- sound of nature? Uh, well, I think you can do tours of the radio observatory as well. Oh, okay. That, yeah. that sounds a little more <laughs> geeky. Yes. Yeah, you can go see the big radio telescopes and all that jazz. Um, uh, if you could survive that long without Wi-Fi, I guess. <laughs> it, it it gets tougher, right? Yeah. Apparently, there's still an NSA uh, echelon listening post there as well, but I somehow doubt you can get a tour of that. All right. <laughs> yeah. Well, but before this last weekend, my I had gotten a. Uh, a call from my father, and he was explaining that his uh, his Wi-Fi had gone out. We were kind of troubleshooting what it might be, and um, he was going to have somebody from the local cable or the uh, local internet provider come out and, and check it the next day. So I wasn't too worried, but we were discussing that worst uh, worst case that I'd be able to get up to his place uh, tomorrow, which would be you know through a through a four day weekend. And and uh, I he said that's okay. I can I can make it no problem without internet for four days. And I said, Dad. I don't think I could do that anymore. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm, I mean, I'm sure I could, but uh, yeah, just just the convenience of always being able to look something up would be right. Yeah. Well, you know, we. I mean, we I'm sl- assuming you get Ethernet there. You just can't have uh, you know two point two point four gigahertz blasting around. Like even like microwaves and stuff are in special chambers or whatever rooms. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I remember reading. I don't think it was on this Hackaday article I'll list, but it was it was somewhere they were talking like they would actually chase down in jeeps like and try and find who's micro who's running illegal microwaves and you know radios or whatever and uh <laughs> like you know stop messing with our measurements damn it <laughs> it was it was wow. some serious business cool so yeah that one that was actually you know chili pepper institute would be pretty cool but that's all the way in new mexico the radio quiet zone i can get to in maybe five-ish hours here from raleigh depending on where exactly it would be that i'd have to go for this tour yeah. So one of the other places that stood out to me also was the uh, the Mercer Museum in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and that had a lot of pre-industrial machinery and like you know beginning of industrial revolution 
on display. So you got to see how you know all these high tech bottling lines were done way back in the day. I'm guessing not at quite the rate that you saw. Probably not. No, three hundred thousand bottles a day would probably be uh, <laughs> you know, the combined output of the nation or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then um, in Strataka, Kansas, am I pronouncing that right? I have no idea. Uh, you can take a tour of the only open salt mine. I think it was in the world or the U.S. definitely, 650 feet below ground. And that just sounds pretty sweet. I mm. I did not see, uh, what was that movie, The Descent or anything. I think I tried to watch it once and fell asleep. So I have no <laughs> no phobia of going down under the ground and worrying about creatures coming to get me. But going to right. see a cool salt mine would be awesome because I know jack all about mining, and that would be pretty cool. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to figure out if you could if you could start mixing some of this. You know, we we grab beer from the production line, and then you, you get some uh, oh, chili peppers go. Yeah. to go on some wings or something from the uh, – from New Mexico and and uh, somehow salt and chips or something. <laughs> yeah. Oh, here we go. It's the only active salt mine in North America that's open to the public. And where is this again? In uh, Strataka. I think I'm pronouncing that wrong. Strataka, Kansas. Oh, because the really big one, I think, is Hutchinson, <clears throat> Kansas. <clears throat> the really big one is up in Chris Campbell's neighborhood in uh, Cleveland. It actually goes out underneath the lakes. Oh, really? Yeah. It's uh, this is not very far from Wichita. You know, now we're starting to get into some some uh, real big cities. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the flyover states. Oh, and uh, I found the chili pepper page here again. The hottest, uh, the new world's hottest pepper, as of well, I guess it was two years ago, according to this article. So it may not be, but it was the Trinidad Moruga scorpion. At 2 million Scoville units. And the former record holder, I can't even begin to pronounce that one. Pujolokia, I don't know. (laughs) Self-guided tours free or guided tours at $25 per person. All right. I'm going to get out to New Mexico, man. So, so relatively, how's hot? If if you had just like a jalapeno pepper, how hot is that compared to Uh, 2 million? Sounds like a big number. It does sound like a big number. Let's, let's use this Wikipedia here. I'm sure they have a, a handy chart I can look at. All right. So zero on a Scoville heat unit is a bell pepper. Okay. If you have a banana pepper, that ranges, you know, 100 to 1,000. Jalapeno is 3,500 to 10,000, give or take in this range here. A serrano pepper is 10,000 to 30,000. Chinese capsaicum is 50,000. A habanero chili is at 100,000. Oh, the one that I could not pronounce, the uh, Buha Jalala, I still can't pronounce it. That's that's the ghost pepper. And that is, that is in order, you know, above a million, two million. So I'm, I guess I'm pretty low. And I'm from Buffalo, so I like hot chicken wings. But I, I would never touch that nonsense. <laughs> I like some I like some heat, but I also like the flavor, man. I'm not yeah. just looking to scorch myself. Yeah, I'd say a little of that goes a long way. Oh, definitely. Okay, this one's a little more detailed. Yeah, jalapeno is 2,500 to 8,000 on the Scoville heat units. <laughs> so if you're at 2 million, you're, uh, yeah, three orders of magnitude higher. No, thank you. Who 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 tastes that? Who's like, yeah, sure, put a drop on my tongue. There's a video on YouTube of a bunch of guys tasting 
one of those pepper. top. Yeah, one of those top peppers, and it's yeah. It, oh, it looks awful. Yeah, yeah, I know a guy like that. <laughs> you insanity is what drives him to do it. No, not me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I top out at jalapenos. Yeah, I can maybe go a little higher, but yeah, I don't know about all that nonsense. Oh, here we go. In a national forest in Oregon. You can also go see the humongous fungus. The mushroom, this honey mushroom is the world's largest organism, stretching across more than 2,300 acres of forest in eastern Oregon. One mushroom? Yeah, apparently. Wow. In the fall, the gigantic organism produces fruit, sending out clusters of diminutive brown mushrooms. Oh, you have to pay for a tour to see this 2,300-acre mushroom. That's it's pretty mind-boggling. It's not like the cap of the mushroom. I, I'm not sure. It, it, it can't be. It, it, it's got to be the, the, the roots of the mushroom. I'm guessing, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So Pop Silence had a, a pretty cool article. And then uh, EDN is what EDN had a, a nice you know thing on summer vacation as well across the globe. And uh, one of the ones that looked pretty cool to me was the uh, Arecibo Observatory in Puerto Rico. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, too. I'm clearly a man of the world, big jet setter. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I guess the way you can identify this one is uh, they filmed Goldeneye there. It was the big super weapon in Goldeneye. Oh, the James Bond movie. Yes, yes. So that was this observatory. And if you're in the U.S., I know Southwest is very cheap flights to Puerto Rico, so... That checks in the mail. Um, <laughs> so right. I, I, on my list of things to go do. Yeah. Well, I know that the uh, the first uh, mention in this EDN article is uh, is the Tesla Science Center, uh, Warden Cliff, Long Island. Yeah. And uh, but that was the one that had the uh, was it the uh, was it Indiegogo or is it. Uh, yeah, I think it was Indiegogo. It was the Matthew Inman from the Oatmeal comics started it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the fund to restore the Science Center. It says that they succeeded in purchasing the 16-acre property in 2013. That sounds about right. Yeah, and they're in the process of restoring it and getting it all up and running. Neat. Yeah. So, yeah, that so, would definitely be cool to go see. Okay, so if you if you had a chance and you were in the area, you'd, you'd drop by there and spend a few hours? Yeah, Definitely. We have a small we have a small office in Long Island of FAEs. I could just if I had a reason to go up there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Trying to think of any other time I would ever be on Long Island anymore. Nothing right now, but I would swing by for the science center. <laughs> Definitely go see this radio telescope in Puerto Rico as well. You know, and then they have uh, the ones everybody knows about. You know, like Cape Canaveral in Florida, which I've done as a kid. I would go back as an adult now too because I can appreciate it more. Seeing those big walkers to carry the space shuttle to the landing platform, that was kind of cool. Didn't get to see it moving, but, you know, at one mile, I don't even think it was a mile an hour. I think it was slower than that. Mm-hmm. They move. But, you know, the fact that they were moving and held the giant space shuttle, that was cool nonetheless. Right. Yeah. So they have Cape Canaveral on there. There's also, uh, I'll just call it the Cosmodrome. Here, I'll pick that word out of there. In Kazakhstan, and it's a, a big cosmonaut museum basically Hmm. yeah some tours include a chance to experience some of the training exercises used to prepare cosmonauts for their flights that's pretty cool in many cases you can actually wear the real spacesuit which have been retired from active service and training on the same equipment which trained earlier generations of space explorers 
Now that's cool. <laughs> oh, wow. Apparently you have to have some money because it's not exactly tourist friendly. So maybe save up to make this one the actual dream vacation. But you can you can actually go in the Russian version of the Vomit Comet, uh-huh, which sounds awesome, while we wear the retired space suit. You can also soar to the edge of space in a MiG-29 Fulcrum fighter. So I'm assuming that's not like the $25 tour most of these other ones here we've been talking about are. <laughs> you, you need to plan up and know some people. Right. I guess they didn't put the byline on there for rich engineers. Uh, that's true. But damn, I guess, you know, I plan on retiring by 35. So sure, yeah, I'll go do this. <laughs> you plan on retiring rich by 35, right? Oh, of course. Yeah, that was implied rich. I'm not going to retire poor. <laughs> <laughs> Come on now. Good luck with that, Carmen. Thank you. <laughs> well, if the podcast is still going when you turn 35, we'll we'll check up on that one. Great. Yeah, it'll be our big retirement episode. <laughs> yep. And then, uh, yeah, they also mentioned call out the Alexander Graham Bell National Historic Site in Nova Scotia, Canada. That one looks pretty good. There's uh, interesting little planes and various inventions. This one looks like a submarine of sorts. I'm looking at it right from the pictures. Well, I'm looking at one here that's the uh, the MIT Museum in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And it looks like it has neat, they say they've got uh, holograms and things about MIT history and uh, some robotics exhibits and some information on Polaroid, uh, which is a company in the area. And that all looks neat, but I'm, I'm looking at a picture of it, and they've got they've got various exhibits or, or or articles that are underneath glass or you know plexiglass cubes, that kind of thing. And they've got the you know the typical museum where they have some words, you know, some sort of text. Yeah, to, words to describe on a page. It. And that's fine. I enjoy those sorts of things, but it's when I go through a museum like that, it's always you know they they're they're trying to make it so you move through quick enough, and they're getting only so deep. They normally don't go into deep technical details. Uh, and so if I'm going through a, a historical museum, if I'm going through something that's talking about uh, uh, here in the U.S., you know, I've, I've been to Gettysburg and they had stuff about the Civil War. That's great. That's And that's about the right level because I'm not a deep, you know, Civil War buff. I don't know all the details. So a brief overview is okay. But, but when I go into uh, technical museums and they give just sort of overviews of the entire thing, I really long for uh, sometimes for deeper information. Do, do you guys have that same sensation when you go to museums, or, or are you pretty good just taking whatever they give you? I was going to say, that's me and breweries. <laughs> uh, I, I feel a mix of both. Um, there's definitely been sometimes, you know, I'm like, okay, cool, I'll read my plaques and, and move yeah. along like I'm told. But other times I'm like, ah, you know, whip out my phone and I need that Wi-Fi. Yeah. Read some Wikipedia right there in the museum. <laughs> I've had pretty good luck at museums. Uh Particularly Oshkosh, but you know, it's it's. Uh, uh, I can imagine that being the case where you know you go someplace and it wasn't intended to be super technical, and technical people show up. <laughs> yeah, I guess if you want that, you know, we don't even have this on our show notes here because we're apparently terrible, terrible engineers. Uh, Maker Fair, you know, if you go to one of the big ones in Detroit or the Bay Area or New York. Um, that, that would be a pretty cool destination. I know it's certainly on my bucket list of things to go to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know I mentioned I hated waiting in lines, but maybe maybe Sophie Kravitz or uh, Alicia White could show me around behind the scenes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
leverage some of my sweet podcasting network connections. Yeah. But, but, but that, I think that's key is that if, uh, if you're touring a city, I know, you know, if you're touring a city and you have somebody who can show you from site to site and explain things and answer questions, uh, as you go along that for me is so much better. And same thing, if you're going, uh, you know, the first time I went to Oshkosh, uh, I was there at the, at the invitation of Dave Gievers, who was a, a guest on an earlier episode. Uh, we talked about patents a number of episodes ago. And uh, he's a pilot, and uh, he knew all about Oshkosh. And, boy, that just made such a difference. I, I, I wasn't left just wandering row after row and trying to figure out what it meant. You know, I just followed him around, and he would give me a history of, of the various exhibits and, and some historical perspectives and some technical perspective, and that just, that just made a world of difference. Yeah, oh, definitely. If I'm with somebody who knows, you know, you know, I can appreciate, you know, like going through a museum in glass, you know, seeing the display cases or walking through the rows of airplanes, like you're saying. But yeah, if you're with someone who actually knows and can tell you why it's such a rare treat to see that, it really adds a whole nother level of depth to, you know, what you're seeing and doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And isn't this, didn't we just describe Chris Gamble's new life and job? Basically travel, go on tours, do meetups with people, <laughs> see cool shit. Yeah, I think that's it. Man, I got to sign up for that nonsense. Does Hackaday apply? Does Hackaday got openings? Where's the career section on their website? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you can if you can make it work, that's uh, that's pretty neat. Yeah. Again, there's so, there's so many places that I'd like to go, but uh, you know I. I'd love to go to a you know a steel plant and watch it, but you want to watch it in operation. I don't want to go to a museum and hear about how a steel plant operated. Yeah, you want to see some steel. I want to, I, yeah, I want to. I want to get a sense. You want to feel the rumble, and you want to you want to feel the vibrations in the building, and you want to you want to feel the heat and and the smells and and uh, uh, there's so many senses other than just vision that that uh, make it a, a neat place to be in. Uh, there just aren't too many manufacturing operations that I'm not fascinated by that, that people have figured out some way to make some product very quickly and uh, and very efficiently. Yeah, that stuff is really memor- mesmerizing to watch as you yeah. uh, see the plant in action. Yeah. So much of this manufacturing is stuff we just take for granted and it's, it's just it's so compl- complex. and mm-hmm. Yeah, even for relatively simple products. Yeah, like steel. Well, so Adam, one of one of the other, you know, another manufactured product, so to speak, are, are roads, and that's one that we get to see as we're traveling down the highway. If they're doing construction, you know, we go right past it. Of course, we don't get to really sit there and lollygag and and enjoy the view because we're traveling past it at uh, sixty or eighty miles an hour. But but you you get, I assume, sometimes get a view of all that. Is that uh, does that is that still hold a fascination for you, or does does it get to be kind of old hat after a while? You know, I think like with anything, it's if if it's your everyday life, um, it's you know it's still fascinating, but it gets a little more more routine for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's still, I mean, that's the same with anything. They're when they're doing a bridge, uh, when they lift a whole bridge into place or slide a whole bridge into place, mm-hmm. that stuff's cool to see, no matter uh, how many times you've seen it. Right. Um, and I think the same's true with uh, just about any of these types of. Uh, of manufacturing processes, you know, big stuff just fascinates us. Yeah, yeah. I guess one of the geeky things is architecture. And that was definitely in the one one travel forum I found about European nerdy destinations. Was you know, hey, dummy, there's a ton of centuries old buildings. 
yeah, how they built things before, uh, before uh, architectural and structural engineers. Yeah, yeah, all the old architecture, and then some of the new ones too. You know, going on this forum here, I found they were calling out. Um, you know, Amsterdam has got apparently some big, massive tram system that they're putting in, and you know, this apparently you can go look at it and maybe get a tour. According to this guy, which seemed pretty sweet, and the one looks pretty cool. The transparent factory in Dresden that Volkswagen put in, and you can take a self-guided tour through this factory and just watch how everything happens. Uh, you know, as you're behind this glass wall. I've seen pictures of that. It's pretty incredible. Is that the one with the like effectively the hardwood floors? Uh, I think so. I'm just kind of glancing yeah, at photos here real quick. It's pretty insane. Yeah, I'm seeing some hardwood floors here. Yeah, it's totally a self-guided tour, and you can walk around and see this factory operate. Sounds awesome. So, engineer, you know, we can do our retreat next year in Dresden. That sounds fun. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, I guess we couldn't really talk about uh, do a vacation episode here if we didn't discuss the elephant in the room, and that is, uh, you know, the vacation time or lack thereof in the U.S. <laughs> versus the rest of the world. Uh, you know, you're, you're lucky to sit at uh, two, three weeks, maybe more if you're really lucky. But, you know, yeah, the rest right. of the world has quite a bit more time than we do. Well, and, and we don't take as much. I, I don't I don't have the st- statistics right here in front of me, but I know that uh, on average, Americans don't use all their vacation. Not me. I try to burn up every possible day I can. <laughs> if they're going to give it to me, I'm going to take it. Yes, but according to this uh, NPR article here, and oh, apparently they updated the chart, even though the article's a year old. Um, the chart was updated May 6th of this year. The U.S. averages 10 to 15 vacation days per year, and then there's Canada at 15 to 20, and then the next lowest is... 25 to 30 days, and most countries are sitting 30 days or above off per year. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm looking at an article from uh, Market Watch, which is a financial uh, website uh, from last September, September of, September of 2015. And it says that in the U.S., employees, use, employees only use 51% of their eligible paid vacation time and paid time off. And uh, there was another, there was another uh, survey that said some forty percent of Americans will leave vacation time on the table. So somewhere in the so we're somewhere in that forty to fifty percent of the uh, the U.S. employees don't use all their vacation time. Yeah, and I guess some of that too would depend on if your vacation days roll over. Because I know some people who you know if they have an extra four days or something won't use it, and then take a bigger trip the next year. So I don't know if that counts into that. Most companies that used to allow, allow you to roll stuff over are now saying you can only roll, roll over a few days or a week, something like that. Mm-hmm. They won't let you keep uh, building it up. Yeah, I, I had a buddy who, yeah, and everybody, you can only roll over X number of days per year. And so when they got over to that rollover date, all of a sudden you would just notice nobody was in the office anymore because they were burning up to that rollover point. And- <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Right. The two other notes here from this article say – uh that while they're on vacation, 61% of Americans work while they're on vacation, despite despite complaints from family members. Yeah. Uh, no. one, in f- one in four report being contacted by a colleague about a work-related matter while taking time off. 
and one in five has been contacted by their boss. Uh, but as bad as that sounds, uh, I guess it's worse in China. Over 72% of Chinese workers have not taken a paid vacation in the last three years. Eesh, I don't think I can do that. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely, if I was looking for a new job or whatever, I would definitely take more vacation time over a few thousand dollars on the salary. Yeah. You know, if the option was five grand or something versus an extra week of vacation time, give me the week. <laughs> you got to be able to enjoy the money. Definitely. That's right. So, so, uh, we'll go back to uh, dream vacation. We heard, uh, we heard about Brian's. So what about yours, Adam? If you had time off and you could do anything you want, would it be, uh, would it be in a pool with a bar, with a book? Would it be, uh, uh would it be going hiking? What, what would you do with your dream vacation? You know, honest, hanging out with some friends, drinking some beer at a, <laughs> drinking some good beer, probably in Europe. Okay. That sounds great. Hey, anywhere in particular or just, I mean, is there anywhere in particular that you wanted to visit? Yeah, I'd probably have to make a circuit of, of England, Belgium, and Germany. Okay. De- definitely beer related though. I sense that's where you're headed. Uh, y- yes, yes. You know, <laughs> yes. Use my vacation time to get away from engineering. Okay. Yeah, but I've, I've always wondered if there's some way to sort of combine those. I've, I've, again, I think that it'd be, uh, you know, I, I don't think I would want to go into something that was uh, on a vacation. If I had my vacation time, I wouldn't want to do something technical day in and day out. But I think it would be fun to go learn, how, like I said, you know, learn learn more about a machine shop or go learn more about electronics or, you know, whatever it is for three, four, five hours a day and then and then have time off to go to the pool or go eat a nice meal or go visit a museum, you know, whatever it is. I, I think that's called going to a conference if you can get someone to pay for it. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I I guess that's true. I I'm not much for sitting on the beach. I mean, you know, I know that lots of people enjoy that, but but I can take about a half hour of sitting in the sand looking out at the ocean and then I'm ready to go do something. I would much rather be walking through a museum or taking a hike or riding a bike. Oh yeah, I'm the, I'm the same way. If I had to plan my dream vacation, it would be definitely in a city somewhere, but with options to, you know, take an excursion or something out into the country or out in the country with an option to go into the city, mm-hmm. vice versa. I like variety on my vacation. My wife always likes to, she could sit on the, by the pool all day and, you know, she likes to go do stuff, but she can definitely sit and relax, quote unquote, longer than I can. Yeah. And after, yeah, after about a half a day of that, I'm like, all right. So what are we doing? <laughs> let's get this. Let's get this thing started. <laughs> right. And so you, Carmen, where, what would your dream vacation be like? Uh, you know, like, like I said, just something with a lot of variety, you know, options. I, I'll play a fast and loose, have a, you know, a rough plan of I definitely have to hit this and eat here or something. And then the rest of it, just, just see what happens. If you wake up and you want to go do a hike, great, go do that. If you want to see a museum and hang out in the city, that'd be, that'd be another option. Um, just any vacations, dream vacation for me. Right. But yeah, definitely, definitely something with a lot of variety because I, I do like to do it all. I have just as much fun walking in a museum as I do touring a brewery, as I do, you know, zip lining through a forest, uh, as I do sitting on the beach for a half a day or so. <laughs> right. Well, so we, I mean, we talked about going to the museum and, and typically like Oshkosh is neat because you can do so many things. You know, there's somebody talking about the electronics of avionics and there's somebody talking about uh, aircraft theory and there's somebody talking about helping you build, uh, you know, aluminum fabrication. Uh, and so there's a wide variety. Uh, I, we've talked in previous episodes 
uh, about the uh, the Hamvention in Dayton, which is a big amateur radio convention that happens every year in May. Uh, and so there, you know, again, it's a it's a variety. You can talk to the people that are purely into the radio stuff, but it, some people are into you know television, and some are into to uh, you know bouncing uh, radio signals off the moon. Uh, and uh, you know, there's a, there's a variety, but sort of uh, centered on. Uh, electronics. I'm kind of wondering about these maker fairs because I've not been to one. Uh, I assume, Carmen, that you you find a variety of people with a variety of technical interests at, at a at a event like that. Oh yeah, definitely. I'm sure it expands a thousand times more when you go to <clears throat> excuse me one of the main ones in Detroit or New York or the Bay Area one. But yeah, and just the one I've gone to here in North Carolina, you know, there's there's people doing robotic vision and education and you know, you, you name it, trebuchets, Tesla coils. You can talk to someone who's into anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's really cool to hear that those technical details you might not get in the museum, uh, uh, you know, when they go on about their projects. And you have one-on-one time to ask them about their projects and, and get more information. And, and who who attends these gatherings? I mean, I know it's a variety, everybody from kids to adults, but, but you know, can you characterize the, the crowds at all? Definitely non-technical. I mean, you you do see your engineers and whoever running around, and but no, there's a lot of families with like kids, and they try to keep everything very interactive if you can. Um, you know, no one's sitting there giving a presentation on the next doping profile of uh, three five semiconductors or anything like that. <laughs> uh, you know, there's you know, made Dino uh, from Hack a Week is there and the North Carolina one, and he's always got his his tray of hacks that you know the kids can play with and. There's just all sorts of stuff just to get people excited about technology and see what's out there and, you know, make it approachable to the average Joe. Um, so it's, yeah, definitely a lot of families and, and people who nor- maybe normally wouldn't come to that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And it, I'm sure you get even more diffuse crowds out in the Bay Area. You probably don't get as much one-on-one time because there's, what is it, 100,000 or 200,000 people or something like that going through over the weekend. But Wow. Yeah, definitely at the smaller ones like in North Carolina here that I've been to, you can you can pretty much talk to whoever you want and you know get to know everybody. Right. Right. And and so a uh, you know in that same part of the country, they have a they have another festival uh that uh doesn't appeal too much to me, Burning Man, but uh, that may be just cuz I'm I'm old and cranky. <laughs> Does that have any any uh appeal to you guys? Uh it's looked interesting. I don't know if I you know, I don't know if I'd ever actually. It's really expensive to go to, and it's really difficult to get tickets. Oh, really? Yeah. And it's it's a commitment that I don't know that I'm willing to make. <laughs> yeah, I have a passing curiosity, but yeah, I guess I, w- I don't know if I'd put Burning Man on my dream vacation. Oh, okay. I'd, I'd check it out. I'd probably have a blast, but yeah, I'd, I would want to go with someone who who knows the ropes. I don't want to just go in as a newbie. Right. Well, I, I guess the option is to just go wander out in the desert somewhere in Nevada. And I know this is is in California, but it is in California, isn't no, it's it? In, uh, I think it's in Nevada. Oh, it is in Nevada. Well, yeah. it's it, or it's on the border, but it's you're basically talking the high desert. Okay. Well, I get. I, I guess what I'm getting at is your option is to go by yourself, just wander out in the desert, and take a transistor radio and. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> P- pretend. Yeah. It would be much less expensive. Uh, so it is in Nevada, Black Rock Desert, or Black Rock City, a temporary community erected in the Black Rock Desert in Nevada. Cool. 
Well, Jeff, I guess we'll uh, we'll finish up with you. What's your dream vacation? Well, I think that the 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 important thing is is to uh, to get outside of your your comfort zone, but but not so far outside of your comfort zone that it's terrifying. Uh, and so I always enjoy, you know, you, you go to a, uh, going to a new city is always neat, but you know, there's, it's always fascinating to find the, the local culture, uh, the local history, the local restaurants, uh, the nightlife, all, all that's fun. Uh, so going new places is always fun. I, you know, if there's some, uh, I enjoy going to, uh, to the museums, if there's an art museum or a historical museum, I, I usually enjoy going to those. And, and I, th- I, I think that quite honestly, if, if, if I was looking for something more techie to do the thing would be talking to people that that had some you know some technical association with the community and so uh, kind of doing the same thing we do here on the podcast talk with engineers about engineering issues uh, but it's always neat to find people that can relate it to their uh, uh, to the history of their town or or the, the their local community or the industry that's, that's thriving in their neighborhood um and so uh, I suppose if I had my dream vacation, it would be something set up like that where I could go uh, tour the sites, eat a few nice meals, and, and learn more about uh, the technical issues that relate to the, to the community. Uh, again, I wouldn't mind something that's purely technical uh, would be great. I think that going to a, a you know, lecture on some mathematical proof, uh, that's a little too much for a vacation. Yeah, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I feel the same way. Yeah, the, 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 there's a reason vacation is called vacation. You want to you want to relax a little bit and and uh, not be pushing yourself as hard as you possibly can. Exactly. And maybe think about different things than you think about on a daily basis. Well, now you raise a very good point, Ryan, and that is that's that's one of the best parts of a vacation is uh, oftentimes my greatest insights, maybe not about a technical situation, but about my career and what I'm doing with my career and what I'm doing with my life, come on vacation. You're sitting there on you know, on the beach or riding a tram or riding a bike, whatever you're doing. And all of a sudden it's, it suddenly becomes clear what, uh, you know, what's important and what's not. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we, we seem to have a variety of uh, interest in, in what makes for the, the dream vacation. I suppose uh, we're all different individuals, so that's uh, not to be unexpected. But there, there are a lot of interesting places in this world, a lot of interesting places to go, and a lot of interesting ways to spend your time. So, Make use of your weekends off. Yes. Don't leave vacation time on the table. <laughs> right. Yep. Right. So if our listeners have uh, some ideas on, on interesting vacations that we should uh, mention, uh, maybe we'll revisit this in a future episode, or, or we, can, uh, we can add it to uh, as a side note to one of the co- upcoming episodes. And I will mention... Just as a hint, I think we're going to have the unicorn appear on this podcast in the not-too-distant future. Oh, chemical engineer. Shh. Don't tell anyone, but it might actually happen. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, let's uh, let's close this one up and uh, call it an episode, and we'll get together in a couple of weeks and uh, do it once more. All right. Great. Sounds good. Bye. Bye. All right, later, guys. The Engineering Commons is produced in affiliation with Big Beacon, a social movement for transforming engineering education. For more information about the podcast you've just heard, please visit theengineeringcommons.com. Our musical introduction is by John Trimble and our concluding theme by Paul Stevenson. <laughs>